Hi, I'm Jill Fetcher. And I'm Maggie Humphrey. And you're listening to The Agency Scoop, where we're talking about business from an agency point of view. And our point of view, with some laughs along the way. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in every month for the latest scoop. Welcome to this month's Agency Scoop. How you doing, Maggie? I'm doing all right, Jill. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. My life lately is... Obviously, all things Taylor Swift, as usual. Um, the movie came out recently, so that was very exciting. But I've also been doing a lot of great things in October for Making Strides Against Breast Cancer from the American yes, Cancer I've Society. I've seen all your posts. So that has been kind of my obsession. And now, um, as it comes to a close, you know, I'll always keep fundraising for the American Cancer Society. If anybody wants to donate, I'll have a link in our bio. But um, that, you know, that's been exciting. I raised about $8,500 so far wow. this month. Just this so, month? Yeah. Wow. And it, it's been about a month since that's I started awesome. fundraising. So it's been really great and a fun way to give back and just kind of connect with people. That's awesome. You're such a good person. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I've had kind of a hectic day today. <laughs> so my morning started off pretty rough. Um, so I was getting ready to scoot out the door. I had to drive to Buffalo today. So I had a little bit of a drive ahead of me. And I typically, I'm a seasonal coffee drinker. So when it's warm outside, I'm drinking iced coffee. When it starts to get cold, I switch to hot coffee. Pumpkin so, spice latte? Of course. Obviously. There's always pumpkin spice involved this time of year. So this morning I decided today's the day to transition over to hot coffee. So I run downstairs, I make the coffee quick before I go to leave, and my hands were still wet from filling up the coffee pot with water, and I pick up my ceramic like bowl that has my coffee grinds in it, and I drop it everywhere. Uh, the hardest just, thing to clean. There's just coffee grinds everywhere, <laughs> and all over me, on the floor, in my cabinets, and I'm just like, oh my god, and Oakley, my dog's over there like walking through it, so then he's tracking coffee grinds all over my Oof. house. It was chaos. Oh no. <laughs> well, hopefully your day got better from there. It's been okay so far, but <laughs> it's only up from here, I feel like. <laughs> That's a rough way to start and a rough chore for you when you get home. Yeah. Yeah. I made the best of it. It's spooky season. Yes. I've seen your posts. Your kids have been various different things so far this Halloween, I feel like. Yes. Well, we went camping and did like a Halloween weekend camping trip and they had activities each day. So they had different costumes <laughs> that they had to put That's on. so fun. But my littlest was Spider-Man all the time. Oh, of course. He's probably going to be wearing that costume for I a year. I feel like that's the number one Halloween costume this year. I just feel like kids are like, there's so many kids are Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, it's really cute. Yeah. It's like the one with the little muscles built in. It's so cute. it's very Extra cute. padding, extra warmth. Yeah. I love it. Um, and the girls kind of rotate between Taylor Swift, other Taylor Swift outfits, Barbie, you know, all of the things. Great costume ideas. I'm yeah. going to be Barbie for Halloween this of year. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I love that. Absolutely. We have kind of a fun thing going on in the Rochester office. So I think I mentioned this on one of our later episodes, but I decorated the Rochester office for Halloween in August because we were just so excited. <laughs> and one of our decorations is we have a office skeleton that sits on one of our couches. His name is Henry. He's really made a name for himself in our office. And whoever is usually the first person in the office that morning will put Henry in a very 
silly position for the day. Like some days he's like climbing on our plant wall. Some days he's holding his head or just doing something funny. So that's been the entertainment uh, for the last month in our office. I love that. I <laughs> Trying love to keep that. the spooky spirit alive. He has a personality of his own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. We're going to miss him come November 1st. We have to <laughs> transition over to Christmas. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, maybe you can create an AI version of him to make videos that's throughout the year. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Great transition. Because I, because <laughs> spooky, speaking of spooky, <laughs> really, I really wanted to talk about these new celebrity-generated AI bots, which are mm. so weird. Yeah, I don't get it. So we talked about this briefly the other day, but I really wanted to like get into it a little bit more. So I did some research. And in case you didn't know, <laughs> Meta is paying celebrities millions of dollars for their likeness so they can create AI assistance to connect to their audience. These bots answer queries, engage with users on like Instagram or, or Facebook. They'll have real-time conversations using responses based on that celebrity's personality. So if you haven't seen this yet before, um, I feel like Kendall Jenner is like one of the big names out there right now. So her AI bot quote is named Billy. And you can search for Billy on Instagram. You can find her profile and there's videos of Kendall Jenner acting as Billy. And then you can message this Billy character. And it supposedly responds like with some type of Kendall Jenner's personality. I don't know. I have so many questions. It's so interesting <laughs> because it it doesn't seem like everything I've seen doesn't explain it well no. of why a user would want to do this. And all of the comments that I've seen, especially on the Kendall Jenner one, Billy, everyone's mm -hmm. like, what is this? Are you trying to steal my information? Why are you doing this? Why are you saying you're Billy when you're Kendall Jenner? If you're AI, then why are you pretending to be Kendall Jenner instead of just somebody yeah. else? It's so confusing. And I don't understand the purpose or why anyone would want to interact with them besides just like as a novelty you know, for, oh, let's see what she says about mm -hmm. this type of like fun thing for a minute. But then like, what is the real purpose? It, it doesn't seem clear. <laughs> yeah, it really hasn't resonated well with audiences. I feel like overall the feedback's been pretty negative. Mm -hmm. um, people are just confused. Like they don't understand the point in it. Um, but Zuckerberg says, advances in AI allows us to create different AI personas to help us get different things done. This isn't just going to be about answering queries. This is about entertainment and about helping you do things to connect with people around you. Still even more confused after reading that. Yeah, because what are you going to ask <laughs> Billy? Hey, how do I be better friends with Maggie? That like she's not going to help me connect with you better. Right. Having a conversation with you would help me connect with exactly. you better not having a conversation with an AI bot that looks like somebody else that is acting like somebody else but is not endorsed by somebody else or knows that. It's just so confusing and I don't understand who the target audience is. Yeah, exactly. There's but there's quite a few celebrities doing it including Paris Hilton. Her persona is Amber who is a forensic specialist who solves crimes. So do you message oh. her about like true crime? Tom Brady actually has made his way well, into yeah. the AI universe and his persona is Brew. Well, that's just actually him. It's not AI. He doesn't have a job, so he's <laughs> right. he's not busy. <laughs> exactly. And um, he's a wisecracking sports debater. Okay. okay. So I could see that. I could see that having more uses for men who like to talk about sports and their wives don't want to listen to it. It's a good outlet. You're right. Yeah. And then the last one is Snoop Dogg. 
So he's a red cape wearing dungeon master who encourages the user to get medieval. Yeah, again, I think that one is maybe just him. <laughs> he loves to do funky things online. I think he would have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. But I want to message the real Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Not this fake one. Right. This is like the next level of cameo, but we'll see. Yeah, see what we'll happens. see. Interestingly enough, um, as I mentioned, these celebs are getting paid upwards of a million dollars, but there is one unnamed creator that's getting paid up to five million for just six hours of studio time. I wonder who it is. I know. We'll report back. Hey, Maggie, let's give our listeners a peek behind the curtain. You mean like a look into what we're actually doing? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. One of the things that I, I have seen in a positive light, I know we've talked a lot about people just kind of holding a lot this year and everyone's waiting for the other shoe to drop everybody's waiting for the economy to tank or bounce back and it just seems like everyone's been in a holding pattern um and especially some of our larger clients this year have been holding back on a lot and just saying oh we don't know what's going to happen we might have more cuts um you know we might be laying people off all of those kinds of things. And we've just been waiting, waiting, waiting. And seems like they're dipping their toe in and trying to make some moves. So we've recently heard from a couple of our larger clients that they're ready to start talking about next year, getting bigger budgets for 2024, reinvesting, recommitting. And so that is all positive. And hopefully the trend continues. Yeah. So love to hear that. Also, from a testing standpoint, we are a HubSpot Solutions partner, and that has been a really great addition to our agency offerings over the past couple of years, being able to work with clients in their HubSpot instance, but also sell HubSpot um, to clients that need it. And we've really focused a lot on the marketing hub aspect of it in the past three years. But recently, we had an opportunity to quote... Um, somebody getting into HubSpot and using multiple hubs. And so we've dove a little deeper into all of the other things and been learning a lot. I actually recently got certified in the service hub, sales hub, and operations hub. So Wow, you're just I a know. HubSpot expert now. I just really know a lot of hubs. So um, <laughs> it's really interesting how they all interact with each other. And I'm excited to kind of open that door and see where that will take us in being able to target other prospects that you know we have this expertise and experience now that we didn't have before. And now it's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to get into the main scoop. We're really talking all things RFP, proposal budgeting, really just hiring an agency 101. Yeah, I call it proposal season. (laughs) That is the third and fourth quarter, mainly the fourth quarter when everybody starts to think about it. And because this is really where I focus my efforts at the agency is on sales and new business and what I'm passionate about. Um, This is a very busy season (laughs) (laughs) for me. Uh, Some of our clients, you know, have different fiscal years. But for the most part, this is the time of year, October, sometimes September, October, where people are really asking for things for next year. They're not asking for things for immediate. They're asking for things to go into their budget. So we thought we would talk about all of the things we consider when someone contacts us and what we look for um, red flag wise, what we look for <laughs> in clients that we really want to work with and questions that we ask so that if you're a client and you're looking to hire an agency, types of things you should consider, what they're going to rate you on <laughs> potentially. Or if you're an agency and you're like, why are we going after 50 things when maybe we could narrow our focus to 10? These are some things that we look at and maybe they would help you determine what you want to look at too. 
The first and maybe most important is the actual client's business and their product. So is it a good product? Do people want it? Is there a market for it? Is there things that we can do to help sell it? Like, is this a good idea? So if somebody comes to us with like an invention and they're a startup and we're like, who would even want this product? This is kind of a no-go from the beginning. Right. You don't want to set yourself up to fail. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if they're not seeing that and then it's not a successful campaign or whatever you're running for them, it falls flat, then it kind of makes you look bad. But at the end of the day, it might not necessarily be your fault. Right. And sometimes we can be that advisor and talk to them about whether or not it makes sense, maybe help them see a different perspective and maybe they can tweak their product or change directions or change who their audience might be even. Um, But that is kind of the number one thing. And I would say Matt, our CTO, is really good at having meetings where people think that they're like, oh, I'm going to build an app. <laughs> and they call us. And I've, I probably have 50 meetings like this a year with him where he'll kind of talk to them about all the costs and implications and the ongoing investment and building an app and having people download on the phone. And are they really going to use it? Or do you need a really good mobile site instead of an app? And going through all of those things, and 95% of the time, people are like, oh, yeah, we don't actually have an app idea <laughs> that people would want. And which is, you know, sometimes disappointing when you're like, oh, well, that could have been a $100,000 project for us. Mm-hmm. And now it's not because we talked them out of it. But really, it built that trust because now they realize, like, we're not just going to take their money and build something. We we really want to get behind companies and products that are good yep. and that people want and that we can that we can do well at. Second thing, which I know everyone always hears me say this. I know we've talked about it on Don't Be That Girl, um, (laughs) but budget, knowing your budget, having a budget, even if it's a budget range, but coming to the agency saying, yeah, we don't know what this is going to cost, but you're doing a full scale RFP. And then afterwards, you you know, you're having agencies pitch against each other, present ideas, and then you have $5,000. It's just not fair. So (laughs) coming with um, with a budget or what you think you want to spend is important, or at least knowing what your goals are and what your ROI should be. So um, if you're like, we need to sell 5,000 of these things and it's going to cost X amount, back into your budget somehow. But coming and saying, oh, we have no idea. It could be $5 or $5 million. Like that is the most unhelpful thing in the world. Yep. <laughs> so, and I know clients a lot of times say, I don't want to give you a budget. And then if I give you a budget of $50,000 and then you tell me the estimate is $49,900, they feel like you're just working up to their budget. But really, you should have a good idea of what your budget is. And the agency should give you an idea of how to spend every penny of that budget in the best way that's going to make you money. And that's what we would do. We're not going to leave money on the table that you could be spending in media dollars or um, in creating something. So having a budget that you are not only comfortable spending, but also that you're not trying to just get the lowest price, that's important. There's also options to like scale up that budget over time too. Having a place that you're comfortable with starting at, but then after you're working with the agency for a period of time and you're actually bringing in revenue, you can always increase that budget over time and kind of work mm-hmm. up to a goal. And I've seen that work before. I have clients that have done this approach and it's actually worked very well. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, although I will say, you know, long term outlook is one of the things that I have here on the list. Like, is this a short term project that doesn't really have a lot of legs for future collaboration? Is this something that we can get our foot in the door with one project and it is sure to grow because we know that we're going to um, impress them and then be able to do a lot more work? Is this something that like, they have $5,000 a year and that's it. So it's going to be a one and done or maybe a once a year endeavor. Um, we look at all of those different things from like a long-term standpoint. And one of the things that drives me crazy when negotiating, when clients negotiate is when they say, well, if you do this one for really cheap, there'll be more down the line. <laughs> and I try to say, well, if I do this really cheap, you're going to try to hold me to that really cheap price for all these ones down the line. Like, let's try to make it fair or let's see if you're going to commit to, you know, doing five things, let's price them all together and you can commit to it mm -hmm. at that better price. But, um, you know, knowing kind of what that long-term outlook is, is really important for us as an agency to even determine whether we want to bid on it or whether it's the right fit. The people, people are really important. And, you know, I would say it's all about who you know, but it's about that feeling that you get from people too when, um, you feel like are is the main point of contact going to be kind and good to work with? Are they knowledgeable about marketing and understand what you're doing? Do they see the value in what you're doing? Also, is the person that you're going to be working with every day the decision maker or an influencer? Um, knowing all of those things is really important, um, especially at, with a, say, a larger scale development project. We want to make sure all of the stakeholders are involved up front and can give their input. And if those people are really, really hard to get a hold of or they're saying, oh, it'll be two months before we can get a meeting on the schedule, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. If the person we're working with cannot make decisions, cannot give approvals, cannot execute or approve the plans, like that's that's a hard thing to get through. So we try to understand and sniff out all of that in the beginning. Like, what does your organization look like? What's the structure? Who makes those decisions? Yeah, and I think there's there are agencies out there that are willing to work with whoever. Um, but I think that's something that really sets us apart is we really do care about the people involved. And we don't want to set our employees up for a bad situation. There's been occasions where we've turned opportunities away just because the client just didn't seem like a good fit for us. And mm -hmm. I think that's totally okay to do. And I'm glad that we do it that way because at the end of the day, I mean, you're the one structuring these retainers and, you know, kicking things off, but I'm the person working with them day to day moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that you do that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, to bring some horror stories into it, I've had prospect calls where, you know, it's myself and Greg on the phone with a prospect and they make it very clear that they have, they do not care at all what I say. Mm. <laughs> and it, it, that kind of sexist attitude and they make it very clear like, oh, what is what does he have to say? He's the important one. Well, even if we can get through to that person and get them to approve the proposal, approve a budget, if they check all the other flags, if they're not going to work with all of our other marketers who are female, <laughs> then that's a no-go. Right. <laughs> you know, if they're going to be like that in the first call, that you get that, those hints and those red flags and your spidey senses go off that they are you know, they're only really, they don't respect women or, you know, deal breakers like that. That's important to know. Also, you know, from a client approval standpoint and the people, one of the things about getting approvals and moving things through is just to understand the client's process. So I always ask clients, like, what does your process look like? Do you have legal, regulatory compliance? 
all of those different departments that need to approve things before things get done, especially when it's creative work that is either, you know, going to print, going live on the internet, you know, anything like that, that they're going to need to see in highly regulated industries. This is really important to understand because some of our clients that are more startups, they can approve something that could go live on the web today, right? And they, they can do things quickly. When you have a whole committee of people who need to approve things or several layers of departments, approvals could take two months to get through all of those things. So as a client, when you're asking for proposals or you're doing an RFP, being clear about that process is so, so helpful. If your legal team is going to take two weeks to approve something, that is not a problem for the agency, but just be clear about it. Be transparent. Let us know. Because then we can give you a real timeline. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's hard to ask, especially in like website projects and things like that, where mm-hmm. you need every little thing approved. Mm-hmm. It's really going to change that timeline if it, the approvals take longer than even a few days. Right. Access and transparency. That's a big one as well. We have we have had times with an RFP process where people will say, oh, well, the agency that wins will get all of the information. But how do you prepare a plan or present what you would do even a a skeleton of a plan without getting that information from them about what research they've done in the past, their competitors, their goals, you know, all of those different things. And so um, depending on how big the project is or or what we're doing, having that transparency and that information up front is really important. We ask a lot of times for anyone that's coming to us for Google ads, we ask for read-only access to their accounts so we can see what they're currently doing how we would improve it and make those recommendations. And that is how we win 99% of our business on the on the Google ad side because we look at it, we tell them exactly you know what we would do differently and how we could improve it and what we think they should be doing. But if they can't even get us access to that, then that's a little bit of a red flag because how can we price something when we have no idea you know where we're starting from? Back to the RFP situation, we've been in that situation before where we're going up against other agencies and the client wasn't fully transparent with us. And when we came to that final leg of the process, we ended up not winning the business because of some other nuance strategy another agency came up with that was never initially included in the original RFP. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how would we have known that that was a direction you were thinking of going and if you never disclosed that to us? Right. I think the one that that you might be talking about is it was a digital RFP and the Mm -hmm. other agency suggested outdoor. If it was something that we thought was a good product to work for outdoor, sure, we we can buy outdoor, we can buy billboards, but it was a RFP specific to search engine marketing. So it wasn't necessarily on our minds to recommend that as a full strategy. It was the PPC team. Right. So interest and care is something that we that we talk about, like does the client care how well they do? That's kind of related to who the contact is and what their level is in the organization. Do they see value in what we do? Are they interested in the results? Does it make or break them? Um, or are they just kind of a middleman and, and don't necessarily care? And and that really depends on how we price it, whether we want to go after it, you know, all of those things. Sometimes, too, where if it's a make or break thing where they need to be saved and this is their last ditch effort, that's a lot of pressure. That's so a we, lot of pressure. So they got to score high in all of those other things, too, yes. for that kind of situation. <laughs> Related to the budget item, price sensitivity is is a real thing. So do they care more about results and they'll have as much budget as possible if they see the, a good ROI? 
or are they going to nickel and dime every every line item? Um, one of the red flags that comes to price sensitivity or even just the financial strength of the company is if they're asking for different billing terms, like right off the bat, if they're like, oh, can we can we pay you in 90 days? That's a big red flag that they're not necessarily a financially stable company. And so um, with those, I'll say, can you pay us up front? <laughs> But even from like a digital like marketing standpoint, it's really hard. It can be difficult to work with clients that are really, really tight on budgets. And it doesn't mean that it's not impossible because we do it, of course. But I feel like there's a fine line where we can make it work. And it's just it's not realistic, Mm -hmm. especially depending on the industry. Some industries are more expensive than others and certain platforms are more expensive, expensive than others. So it's like if you really want to grow and really drive that revenue, you need to be willing to put in more money in certain time periods. And so it's really difficult sometimes when a client comes with a really, really tight budget and they're expecting to receive 2x, 3x, 4x in return but they're not willing to really put the the money into it. So mm-hmm. you're kind of setting, again, setting yourself up for failure in those situations. We've turned business, clients' business away that really just don't have the budget to work with us because we can't do our jobs well. Right. So I guess a couple other things that we consider that are more on the RFP side or if they're someone that comes to us blind that we don't really know um, is just how many agencies are they talking to? Are we truly who they want to work with? Or are we a filler agency? A lot of times RFPs are written with one specific partner in mind. And we know that we have clients that have had to go out to RFP, but we're the agency that that helped them write that RFP because they have to do it for legal, for legal reasons or because they're a nonprofit. And so they need to. Um, but are we that filler agency? Or are we a true prospective partner for them? And I try to suss that out and um, try to get the clients to be honest about it, but that is a really hard thing to understand. Mm-hmm. But it's nice if they have that transparency to say, hey, I'm I'm actually quoting this with you and three other agencies. I mean, that's an amazing thing for someone to be transparent about because you know, like, okay, we're up against three other agencies. I think here's where we can differentiate ourselves as opposed to maybe a state government RFP where you might be against 100 other agencies because they send it to anyone that's on their email list. That feels like a much longer shot, and I try not to go after those. Another thing about the competition is just how many – I look at how many other agencies they've had in the past and which ones, especially if it's a local account here. We just had that situation recently um, looking at a prospect where we noticed, oh, they've worked with other local agencies. They've had three different agencies locally that I know of that have their work on their website still. So in the recent past, they've had – three other local agencies. Why are they blowing through agencies? Why don't they like the agencies they've worked with? What are the red flags about the client? Can I call contacts and see (laughs) what they think? Um, So that is something too. like expect. If you're a client, expect your agency to do some research on who you've worked with in the past. And the agency game is a small, small world. We, We know each other. So we'll ask and we'll ask the tough questions. And if it's a good enough contact, they'll tell you to run the other direction if if they should. <laughs> you have a lot of contacts. I try. <laughs> I try to always make friends, not enemies. <laughs> Some of the ones that we aren't sure about, if they don't pass the sniff test with all of those things we just talked about, a couple other things like, are they a referral from someone we trust? We have, um, again, a big network. And if somebody says, oh, this isn't really a good fit for my agency, but I thought it might be for you because you have this specific industry expertise or we just don't have the capacity for it at this time, but I want to pass them along. 
you know, is it someone we trust that's not just passing along a garbage lead, but somebody that would really pass along the right thing? Um, or from somebody that we used to work with as a client that passed along somebody, um, that's always a great referral. So we consider that too, like, do we want to keep this relationship good? Is it important to them that we work with them? Or are they passing along and don't care if we work with them? Those kinds of things are good to consider. And there's been many opportunities where we have helped out other agencies and, and taken on clients um, and for them. And it's led to bigger projects down the road. Exactly. And then again, like other industries that we maybe don't have expertise in or we don't have experience in, but we'd like to. So is it is it a client that could be a good learning experience for us and get our foot in the door in one of those industries that you need a relationship to get into? Or if you want to work with other clients in that industry, they need to see the experience. So um, I've found higher ed is like that, where they're like, hey, um, can you show me four other colleges that you've worked with? If you don't have that many, then don't even bother. And it's like, how do you get that many if no one will let you do it even once? But there's industries like that that really rely on knowing that you know the industry and feeling like, I don't want to teach you this industry. You need to know it. So if you have that opportunity to get noticed in an industry that you want to get into, sometimes you take things that might score lower on those other variables. Anything you would add as someone that doesn't necessarily do all the new business, but is who it gets handed off to when it comes to the agency? (laughs) I think, like I said, the budget's really important. Being willing willing to test and try new things. I I understand that there's certain industries and situations where that might not make sense, but I do love when clients are willing to put their trust in us and test and try new platforms, new campaign types to see if it works well for them because you never know. Like I have a client that didn't really do much with social media and we're like, let's test Mm -hmm. and see. It doesn't work for every industry, but it did so well for them. I'm so glad we pivoted and went that direction and now they're dedicating more budget per month towards that platform because it performed so well for them. So being able to rely on your agency and trust them that they know what they're doing, I think that's really important because you never know what could work. There's things that we've tested and tried and been exposed to that they haven't. And it could resonate really well. So that's a big one for me. I like that. And believe me, whenever I'm running through all of these evaluation points, I'm always thinking about you and the team and who they're going to like working with, how they're going to like working on it, and if it's going to be a good long-term partnership. Because if people keep getting clients that they don't like or that are driving them crazy, they're going to be like, Jill, stop doing that. Don't bring in these people. So I try to make sure that we're bringing in clients that it's good all around. And it's I love good my clients. They're all great. I don't good. really have, I don't have a bad client. So I want to talk about things that I do from a new business perspective that I've tried to hone and make more efficient over the years, especially during this fourth quarter RFP proposal You're budgeting so season. many proposals every day. <laughs> no, and it's tough because sometimes – you know which ones that are a higher priority that you really want to spend a lot of time on. And there's others that you really you want to go after it because there is a, a small chance or maybe they're just not as as big of a budget, but you want you still want to get it. Um, and you have to prioritize sometimes. So there's a few things that I do to kind of use my time more efficiently that I thought we could go over. So the first, when I talk to someone, if they don't know their budget, or they don't really they don't really have a solid budget or they don't know what it would cost to work with an agency maybe they had someone in-house doing what we do those kinds of things 
I have been, instead of promising them a proposal, I will either verbally on the call talk through some ranges of what I think it would cost to do what they're asking for, if I can off the top of my head, and see how they react. Um, If it's something that I want to talk to a couple people internally about, like, here's what they want to do, what do you think this would cost, then I will just follow up with an email that just has, here's what we talked about, these couple goals, and here's the range of what I think it would cost you know, five to $8,000 per month or fifty dollars to $75,000 for this project. I give them that ballpark range and then I say, and I don't take a lot of time on that email, maybe 15 to 20 minutes, depending on if I have to give them examples or anything. And then I just say, let me know if that budget fits what you're looking for and I'll put together a full quote. That saves me so much time because I can't tell you how many people, even on a call, act like, oh yeah, we got plenty of budget, we have tons of money, we are good to go. And then I send them those ranges, they're like, oh, I was thinking more like $500 a month. A lot of times clients don't understand how much something is in certain Mm -hmm. areas. So in their head, they have a number that they think it's worth. And when you actually put the number in front of them, they get a little sticker shocked, like, oh wow, I didn't realize it was that much money. So putting those dealers out there is definitely a better way to go. Because I think, I mean, we've learned this just through trial and error ourselves and there's definitely been times where we've put a full proposal together and then someone's like oh I don't want to pay that much and you just wasted all that time (laughs) exactly exactly so doing that even though it feels some I remember when I first started doing that kind of thing it felt a little unprofessional or like I was cutting corners but really it's respecting my time it's respecting their time and so you shouldn't feel bad about saving yourself time to save everyone headaches down the road loom videos is my second tip so I have been using these more and more. We've been using them as a marketing team to go over reporting, um, explain metrics, explain different things, and they save so much time as opposed to doing a full meeting. So I used to always be like, let's schedule a meeting. I'll walk through the proposal with you, and then I'll send it to you after. And that way they can't skip ahead and read the pricing at the end. They have to listen to me or you know, they have the opportunity to ask questions. But I have found especially for videos where you know they need several stakeholders to look at it. They, you know that there's going to be people that'll skim, not read your proposal <laughs> and like read the details and you need to find a half an hour, an hour to present. And sometimes that can be difficult with people's busy schedules. A Loom video is a great way to just walk through, hit the high points in five minutes, Go through the pricing. Make sure that you're hitting things that you think they're going to ask questions about. So, oh, is this included? You can say that. Um, Two rounds of revisions are included in this. I noted that in the disclaimer, but in case you don't see it. And of course, you know, send that video along with the actual document of the proposal so they can read through it and look at all the details. But this has saved so much time in going through things. And you can refer back to it as well and say, oh, I think I detailed that in the Loom video, but yeah, I'll tell you about it again when they ask again. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, always offer when you send it over. If you'd like, we can have another conversation after you've reviewed this. And you can see who's clicked on the link, who's watched the video, all of those things. You can see when when they do that. So it's easy to know when they're asking for a call, did they even look at it or not? So you can say, oh, once you've reviewed the video, let's have a call. So... Yeah, I, Loom videos saved my life. <laughs> yeah. it so I mean, in nice. terms of just like managing clients, it, sometimes it could have been an email, it could have been a Loom, 
you're saving alone. so much time you can do it quicker they can pass that along to whoever they need to to get those questions answered and at the end of the day it's just easier for everyone involved the last thing that i have is really pretty pretty easy and obvious but having templated information so i used to go through when we had website proposals i would go through and um, customize every step of our process to like insert the client's name in a lot of different places and i've started using our typical website process, sending it along as an attachment with the proposal saying, here's our detailed process. We would customize this to talk about your business and what your business needs, but this is our typical process that we go through. So then I'm not spending a million hours writing every proposal from scratch. I have a lot of those templates saved. Um, However, it's really helpful to not recreate the wheel every time, but you have to make sure that you're rereading things to make sure you don't um, that you don't mess that up. <laughs> that would be so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of email templates. HubSpot makes it really easy to have little snippets that I have. So I have an email that I send to people when they want B2B website examples. They have the links. They have blurbs. I have an email snippet for references. And I have all of my references, all of my clients that have agreed to be references and say that they'll be a reference for us anytime. I have an email snippet with all of them in it. So I put it in the email. I delete the ones I don't want. And I send it along. Works for what makes sense. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. <laughs> but just always reread it and make sure you don't have a different client's name yes. or or referring to something that doesn't make sense for them. So those are a couple of things that I've done to make my life easier <laughs> over the past several years. Yeah, I think as we wrap up, not only for, you know, trying to work and win new clients but even your existing clients if you're trying to expand maybe your current scope you brought something to my attention the other day that was really really helpful i have a client that i've been working with for about a year now and they're a great client they're probably my favorite client and they are a very hungry client in terms of wanting to try and do so many different things but sometimes it's a little real unrealistic in terms of our current retainer we're a little restricted so they're constantly asking more questions. Hey, can we pivot our, and instead of spending hours on this, spend hours on this, is it within the same retainer? They're asking for project retainers. So you kind of were like, well, let's reevaluate. Let's take a look at everything that's went on the last year from when we started working in for them till now. Let's look at our results. Let's look at all the projects we, we've done for them, kind of like a year in review. Present it to them, really talk up what we've brought to the table and remind them how much value we've brought. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a smart approach. And then kind of pivoting and saying, you know, we have this current retainer, but what if we add on X, Y, and Z? It's not necessarily adding a ton of money maybe, but kind of just shifting the guardrails a little bit, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a great way to I, – I don't want to say upsell because that seems so salesy, but <laughs> to increase scope or to – sell the client on new testing ideas or new things that we could help them with is to do that review. Say, here's all of the great things that we've done. Even when they're a great client and they love you and they're telling you all the time how great it is to work with you and that they value you, a lot of times they lose track too. And to position in a way like, look at all of the things we've accomplished together. Like you did this, we did this, we did this together. And it's kind of an overview of here's all the things we did this year. Here's some great results we got. Here's some lessons that we learned from maybe things that didn't turn out so great. So it's not all patting ourselves on Mm -hmm. the back. Some of it could be not negative, but 
constructive feedback. And then, hey, we're just going to keep going with these things in 2024, but also here's some other ideas of some things we could test. And again, in those things, we don't need to give pricing right away, or maybe it could be a ballpark like, hey, we'd love to do this. Do you think you could set aside 50 grand for this next year at some point to do it? And if they're like, oh, we love that idea, but no, but maybe in the future, or Maybe it gets them thinking to have those conversations. Okay, where can we pull 50 grand from to try this? Because this would really make a difference. But it's packaging it in that way of a year in review. How do we get um, everyone excited, celebrating the wins, reflecting on all the things that we've done, and setting goals for next year as well? Yeah. Well, what can we do to get there? (laughs) Yeah. It's not salesy if you tie it back to a goal. Yeah. Put a little bow on it. I love it. I love it. And and I think we should do year-end reviews for, for all of our large clients, especially ones that we have multiple departments working on or multiple initiatives going on throughout the year. If you have a client that, you know, you built one website for them and that's all you did all year, like that's still a big win. And But you know, they obviously know that they partnered with you on it. But if you have somebody that's um, building websites, doing videos, doing digital marketing, doing all sorts of different things, that's a great way to kind of say, hey, have you realized like how big our relationship has has come? Like, yeah, how much we've done what together? Done? They probably I feel like sometimes you don't realize until you package it that way for them. Exactly. It's great. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. And all of you know one. Don't be that girl. I thought it would be interesting to read some agency horror stories right from Reddit. Oh, I love this. Yes. So I found one this month that kind of applies to our overall topic. You touched on how it's important for clients to be transparent with us as agencies, especially when it comes to an RFP or whatever it may be. And I think this really adds to that. So Awesome. Note to our listeners, I have not read this or know what she's about to say, and I'm really excited. Live reaction. Let's go. So this was written by Reddit user Jump Driver. They start with, buckle up. (laughs) Client requested a business plan and a roadmap for a homegrown end-to-end e-commerce solution. Everything from a website with a secure shopping cart and checkout process to source pick and pack and fulfillment capabilities from multiple warehouses across the country, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially, it's a pretty big client. It's a Fortune 500 client. Big operation. No, this was around 2008. So we're throwing it back a little bit. Oh, but, you okay. know, client horror stories, they, they last forever. Vintage. Yes. <laughs> so multiple millions of dollars essentially is the opportunity here for this agency. We have completely changed the complexion of our agency for this one project. So it's 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 like make it or break it here. So they spent months preparing, had an outright solution that was reasonable budget-wise. My boss, who is an effing brilliant <laughs> marketer, put the entire proposal together using the legwork leg I'd done. Designed to be about a two-hour conversation. Ticked every box and then some. We were pumped. Day of the presentation comes. Four of us and eight clients, including the VPs, the CMO, and the CTO of this Fortune 500 company. We got two pages into discussion, so maybe three minutes tops into the presentation. And the CMO takes out his hefty spiral binder and slams it down on the table and looks at our team and stands up. He says, quote, well, so-and-so's boss. You're, you're really missing the mark here and walked out of the room, leaving us all to stare at each other. Later that day, he made a call to our president requesting that my boss, who I will repeat, 
to this day, is the most brilliant minds I've ever worked with, is never allowed to work on their account again. We found out after the fact that somewhere between the original ask and the actual meeting, he decided and told no one that what he really wanted was a turnkey storefront where they just sell the product at wholesale and the vendor takes everything from there. It was the worst meeting ever. Oh my gosh. So they wasted all of that time, months, months prepping for this. That's so disappointing. Just to find out that through that period of time, the client pivoted on what they wanted and never disclosed that to them. And just decided to do like an Amazon store. Yeah. And then (laughs) made them feel stupid in the meeting. And I mean, I just didn't realize it was too much to ask to be nice. But I think that I think there's companies out there that forget that agencies were, were coming in looking to be a partner with you as an extension of your team. I think a lot of times companies will look at it like, oh, you're working for me. And they'll talk down to agencies, but mm-hmm. most of the time agencies don't think of it that way. And we also don't want to work with people who think of it that way. I've worked for an agency who is was in that position where the client looked at us like, you work for me versus we're a partnership. Right. And it's very demoralizing. And I feel like a lot of times it was a very negative environment. It was very toxic and it wasn't rewarding. When agencies are looked at as partners, I feel like the work is more personal and it's so much more rewarding. Mm-hmm. And when it's the other way around, it just becomes very toxic and just it's just not a good space and not a good headspace to be in. So exactly. try to remember that your agencies, they're there to help you. They want you to succeed. They want you to do well. Yes. They want to be your partner. They want to be part of your team. <laughs> yes. We're in this together. Exactly. It is... Hardly anybody says, I just want to be a vendor to them. They want to be a partner and they want to be part of your team. And that's how a lot of our clients, that's what we say that we want them to feel like from the beginning. We tell them we want to be an extension of your team. We want someone to say, hey, call Maggie from digital marketing. (laughs) And the new person doesn't know if they mean down the hall at their company or at the agency side because Maggie's their digital marketing Right. I have a client right now that's working on this really new concept that doesn't necessarily fit into our current scope, but it could eventually lead to us increasing down the road. But they first have to pitch it to their internal team to make it work. Mm -hmm. So they're doing all the legwork for it, but they're tapping into me and looking for me for advice. Can you look over this uh, document I put together? Can you look over this presentation I put together and add any notes or whatever? That's what agency partnership looks like. Yes. And that's what we're here to do. 100%. (laughs) 100%. And thanks for tuning in to this month's episode of The Agency Scoop. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Agency Scoop. The Agency Scoop is produced by Cypress North, a digital agency in Buffalo, New York. Our producer is Greg Finn. Our editor is Eric Barnes. Our graphics are by Sammy Hansen. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to share your thoughts about the episode and give us ideas for future topics. We'll see you next time.